Good morning, and welcome back to All About Ovid. That is all with an O, about with an O, Ovid with an O. My name is B. Peterson, I am your host, and with me as always is... I'm uh, Whitney Seibold, I'm, I'm the other host. Yeah. Uh, Whitney Seibold with an O. Yeah, uh, oh, okay. And um, and I'm still in L.A., I've got, and this is the last recording I've done. I've done all my recordings with Mark Edward Hoyt for the Dorothy Arzner podcast. It was an emotional, emotional finale. I'll just, uh, the episodes will be released over a few weeks, um, so you, you won't get to the last episode for maybe a couple months, but I'll just say, tease this, it's like... We went out singing her praises. Um, anyway, um, but we're we're not alone, Whitney. We aren't. Um, in and, fact, we are in the apartment of a venerable peer. Yeah, and really, you could say that we haven't been alone this whole time because from the beginning, we've had to acknowledge that a lot of the stuff we're talking about um, has come through a certain individual, and that certain individual is one Dave White. Welcome. Howdy. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. Uh, Y'all have hyped me up to an uncomfortable degree. Yeah, uh, I know I, you're uncomfortable with praise. I can only disappoint you uh, at this point. Well, I but mean, I uh, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I mean, this whole oh, week I'll for me, this this whole week for me has been realizing that all these people that I'm fans of are 3D persons, yes. and you in particular, thanks to your profile picture on Twitter and also the cover of Linoleum Knife, I've never actually seen your whole face before. I tend to have an ice cream cone in front of it, or a book, or a book, <laughs> masculine, yeah. feminine. Um, I okay, I am not as camera shy as our pal Manola Dargis who every year when she comes on our uh, uh-huh. year-end episode and Alonzo wants to take a photo at the end, she turns her back to the camera <laughs> and we see her long hair like she's cousin It from the Adams Family. Uh, I'm not like what that. Do, what, what pop star does that? Is that Saya? Saya, yeah. yeah. The, um, but I don't uh, especially enjoy being in photographs because I tend to ruin them. People expect you to smile. No, I don't think like I'm ugly or anything. I find myself adorable, but um, yeah. <laughs> the uh, but there's this thing with smiling that I I can't like turn it on, and so I tend not to smile in photos, and that makes people upset because they're like, "Why don't you smile?" Mm-hmm. You know, well, I am. <laughs> She'd, this be is a, it. She'd be a lot prettier if she <laughs> smiles. What you get? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The the, the, the social uh, demand to smile. Uh, obviously, that burden is unfairly placed mostly on women, but yeah. men too. Now these days, it seems so. Yeah, I am smiling. Yeah, and I'll, I would rather have a giant ice cream cone. In <laughs> That'll make you smile. Yeah, um, then I'm genuinely smiling. <laughs> yeah, it's like right. ice cream. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I just before we get into the films we're going to talk about, I just have to say for the podcast, this cake that you baked us is incredible. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's Dave, Dave White is is a generous host. Yes, um, yeah, and it just this whole week has just been bucket list item after bucket list item. Uh, <laughs> uh, getting William to fall asleep live on mic, <laughs> recording at after two thirty in the morning. It happens what? more often than you think. What? I know. Um, How, what were y'all he woke we, up to give a pun, and I was so distracted by him falling asleep. It's it's my work schedule. Right, uh, because of the pandemic, teacher, I have a child at home. I've been a teacher right. during the day. I project movies or process film in the night. And then Where afterwards, beginning at, at around midnight, that's when we start recording. I'm sorry, does Michelle stay up that late? No. No, she, she goes to I don't know how she does it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
You can yeah. sleep through William Bibiani. No, Will, William Bibiani <laughs> sleeps through me. Uh, well, and yeah. he was and he was not enough well, I mean, to me as I was trying to wrap up my review of the Perfect Candidate. Well, <laughs> and I was so distracted by you know him not enough that when he woke up to say to to provide the brilliant pun. So you're saying it's imperfect. I didn't even catch the pun because right. I was so like, all right, let's get rid of the view. I don't want it to. Anyway, yeah. What I was, what I was getting at was that uh, to, if she was asleep, you know. Her husband has a booming voice. Oh, yes, yes. He's an uh, operatic <laughs> chamber of a torso. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and yeah, and, Mich- and Michelle has been lovely. Everything has been lovely this week. Right. And, well, and I'm, she's, she's perfect. No, she pretty much is. I had an amazing, like, yeah. four-hour conversation with her. Um, and, and Bibbs. But, yeah, um, we're here to talk about Ovid. Well, not exactly. This is really well, this is almost o- with an O about Ovid. O- Ovid adjacent, I suppose. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love all this. This is stupid. <laughs> but anyway, Ovid is the streaming service that makes Criterion Channel look like Netflix. Ovid, Ovid is the streaming service where you go to see movies that never even played in theaters, only in museums, and here's where you go to find them. Um, Pretty much. Yeah. And we love it, and you can well, go I with... Love, I love Oh, yeah. no, I do, too. They just put out the Orphic Trilogy, finally. I've yeah, never been able to see it because the discs yeah. have been out of print. It's finally on the channel. They're, um, they are just announced a Melvin Van Peebles, Peebles box set. set. Yeah. That, that seems pretty awesome. And they've got a Marlon Riggs box set coming out, though mm. I will point out that almost all of Marlon Riggs' work is also on Ovid. So, um, anyway. But we're not here to talk about... What we're here today to do, to do today is a very special uh, episode because... I got Dave on the podcast. I'm going to be talking some specific stuff that we both love. And so yes. th- to, so today we're going to be talking about three films, one of which is an Ovid, directed by one Simon Lang. Yes. Now, which one is currently on? Uh, uh, the, the whole. The, the whole. The whole and, and also Rebels of the Neon God. Which we uh, talked on about first already. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think let's just get started. Let's get started with The Whole, shall we? Whitney, why don't right. you introduce uh, us? Okay. Uh, the Whole it was a film from 1998 that uh, Simon Lang did as part of uh, a specially commissioned series of movies uh, about the end of the millennium. It was right. essentially the millennial angst series. And uh, <laughs> he uh, made a, a sort of a... It feels almost post-apocalyptic. It takes place in the very near future, 2000, mm. uh, where there's a, a virus tearing through the world. Oh. And this virus is... The symptoms are you essentially behave like a cockroach. Mm-hmm. That, that's Those are the symptoms they give. You uh, and you, lights, you, you, moist, and you, you, you Yeah, you make you little like pa- wet, papery caves and you climb inside and you just eschew human company. Uh it's constantly wet and damp and raining. Mm. Not just in this movie, but actually kind of in all of Simon Lang's movies. His, uh, uh, yeah, yeah that, that was a big uh, there's a big theme of, of Rebels of the Neon God as well. There's a right. this apartment that's constantly flooding, flooding. and you yeah, step no, the off. Apartments in Simon Lang movies you do not want to live in necessarily. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I'm I'm watching Simon Lang movies and I'm getting flashbacks to when I took when I was on my swim team in high school <laughs> and I had just like incurable athlete's foot all the time. We'll talk about it athlete's was, foot when yeah. we get to afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe he had a similar, Simon Lang had a similar experience to me uh, in that he was constantly living in damp environments and constantly fending off foot fungus. Uh, but this story uh, in, in a very, very much like a Terry Gilliam's Brazil twist, a plumber comes into uh, one of the characters' apartments 
like lays down a, a length of pipe, like dr- kind of digs out a like carves out a trench right, in the concrete there's a leak floor. Somewhere, yeah, a, a leak somewhere. The entire you know apartment is just flooded, and uh, bore in so doing bores a hole in his floor, leading to the apartment below his, where uh, a, a, the other main character of the film is living, and through this aperture between their two apartments the two of them begin to develop i guess sort of this almost mutual animosity uh, and uh, maybe like a shared madness it's difficult to to describe uh, and meanwhile we also get to see just sort of life in this apartment as people are hiding from this cockroach pandemic uh, but not not uh so much that we can't make the occasional aside to some musical numbers. Right. <laughs> Which is the other part of this movie. Um, yeah, uh, where we get, I believe their name is, is it Grace Chang is the artist? Uh, Grace Chang was a singer, a very popular singer uh, in the 1950s, I think, and 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in films um, as well. And so the musical numbers in this uh, film are... Uh, songs that she sang, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Um, and uh, Yang Kuei Mei uh, lip syncs these songs in increasingly elaborate mm-hmm. uh, musical numbers, which feel as though they are her mental escape from this sort of crushing misery mm-hmm. that's engulfed her and him and the entire apartment building everything feels like it's disintegrating except in her in, except in her musical right. dreams yeah you know. which they always get some sort of clever segue into at one point she literally is about to sneeze and then we cut to her lip singing a song about sneezing right mm. yeah there's no shortage of uh, what, what kind of comedy is this bleak <laughs> comedy where the first musical number She's uh, it's in an elevator. In an right? elevator, that's about got the calypso twinkling lights mm-hmm. uh, inside it. And the the minute she's done, the next shot we see is Lee Kang Shang. Lee Kang Shang passed, passed out, out drunk. drunk in an elevator, mm-hmm. uh, the same elevator in their apartment building. So, uh, Mr. Side loves to you know juxtapose these these things together. Right. Uh, the thing that stood out to me the most, and I think justifiably so, is how freaking prophetic this film is. Um, This movie comes out today, people yell at it for being too on the nose. It's about a pandemic that is ripping through the place, there is quarantine, people are living in isolation. At one point, we hear on a radio someone talking about a French biologist suggesting that we call it the Taiwan flu. It's... The government has been utterly uh, ineffectual in dealing with it. They are imposing all sorts of, you know, Punishment level measures for right. the it's population. Punitive, not helpful. Without doing anything about the yeah. virus. Um, yeah. So that's exactly the situation uh, that we experienced last year in 2020 in the United States, uh, where you know we had a, a government that did not care one bit. There's a, mm-hmm. a documentary called Totally Under Control right. that I would yeah. recommend uh, if you if you can stomach if it. If you can stomach <laughs> it, yeah, because it's all about that man and his uh, lack of concern for people dying. And, uh, and, and lack of ability to even, like, do anything. Right. Like, yeah. Y'all, y'all uh, swear on this uh, show? 
Um, you you can swear as much as you'd like. I'll okay. just edit it out. Okay. Just like little clips of sound. Well, you can go ahead. Whitney's done it. I, Anna, oh. my, one of my other co-hosts, swears like a sailor, and I just, you know, if just part a, of the book. If there's a hell, may he reside there. <laughs> yeah. For eternity. Yeah. 45, uh, mm. uh, not the best bloke. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's... But anyway, this film... The, the specter is, of the government is, is, is part of this movie. Uh, very much like what we've experienced. At one point, we see on the TV them like giving this long, detailed explanation of how to make instant noodles. Right. Uh, that's the yeah, extent of their aid. Chirpy, upbeat. Uh, you know, uh, the woman on the on television called herself the Spice Girl. Mm. You know, I'm going to teach you how to make instant noodles with pickles. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and this was 1998, so the, the Spice Girls were still, were still huge. I really don't know who those people are, so just an <laughs> indication of my age. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the Spice Girls were uh, five uh, incredible women of the 1990s who uh, changed uh, pop music forever okay. and should be worshipped as queens. Oh, all right. Well, and, and they are. That's just so you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, the Hole came out at a time that I recall very vividly. This was sort of my... The late 90s was like the, the formative time. It's when I was in college. Yeah. And um, I recall very sharply this uh, very specific type of millennial angst. Or right at the end of the 1990s. It felt like everything was, was going to come to an end. Whether or not you believed in the Y2K virus was going to take us out or right. you know the earth was going to explode even if you knew things were just you know the sun was going to rise the next day it felt like we we were done like as a culture we weren't really planning ahead in any kind of significant way a lot of the interesting stuff was just sort of breaking down um, you know you, you listen to a lot of the the music like the pop music scene of the 1990s and there's a lot of variety there's a lot of uh, rise of hip hop and there's men and men and women and you know, you can turn on a rock station and hear swing and hip hop all in one uh, right. one block and then you go to the early 2000s it's all like new metal garbage it's like we, we just dove into the the garbage hole right in the beginning <laughs> of the, the 2000s <laughs> so uh i feel like this film is really capturing this idea that there's there's nothing to look forward to that everything is going to sort of rot, and the only thing we really have is these sort of escapes into the past, into right. like the the idealist version of the past, even though the world is collapsing around you. Um, yeah, no, the <clears throat> film literally ends with a note from mm. Sai saying that in the year two thousand, mm. we'll still have Grace Chang songs to survive on. Yeah, um, but but that's all we'll have. To yeah, survive. exactly. And you know, again, last year we just. We took the little things that we could, yeah. and that's what we had. Yeah. I uh, agree with you about the, the disintegration uh, mm. quality, because that not only is that reflected in the film, in the, in the, 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 the apartment that they're living in, but you know, you've seen over the course of his career, uh, there is uh, an emphasis on spaces where people shouldn't be living mm. um, or are just passing through to get to some other, you know, depressing mm. location. Uh, there's a wonderful book uh, that just recently came out. It is about Goodbye Dragon Inn. Oh, um, yeah, I think I saw uh, that. In fact, it is simply called Goodbye there Dragon Inn. There it is. Goodbye All right. Dragon Inn. And it's from the critic Nick Pinkerton. Oh, I'm, and I've, um, I've met Nick. And the the uh, 
in, 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 in the book, he references uh, an architect named Mark Auger, maybe mispronouncing his name, who refers to uh, places that he refers to as non-places. Uh, anywhere that feels, you know, like a hallway or a convenience store mm. or a, an ab- a dying mall, uh, and those are the a, a, a grocery store. Those are the places where abandoned buildings, where people in in Simon Lang films exist. Yeah, it's where places without aesthetics. Right, they are disorienting. <clears throat> they're these sort of emotionally flattening physical spaces where. The characters, you know, have emotions that spring from these places anywhere. Anyway, but they are broken spaces. Mm. And the people who've lost their way wind up there. Uh, And that is absolutely what this apartment building is (laughs) in the whole. Uh, The the physical spaces in his films uh, tend to diminish people rather than enhance them. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ongoing themes, you know, because it, it winds up a place where lonely people feel like they deserve to be. And there's an ongoing theme of loneliness mm. in his uh, in his films as well. Right. And, yeah, and, and here it literally, it becomes literalized when towards the end of the film, uh, Yang Kui Mei gets the virus, contracts it, and literally is drawn into her toilet paper fort which again the imagery of this movie is so reminiscent of last year and then we get the climax which almost moved me to tears i feel like we can talk about the ending right oh yeah no we're we're talking about this as much as like the the ending actually is there's like a note of hope in Mm -hmm. fact Mm -hmm. where he reaches his hand down we literally threw a beam of light because yeah he reaches his hand down through the hole and in no way could this really be happening. It happens in a, in, a, in what appears to be a very magical way. He pulls her up, right, mm. through it, and then like, they the, they dance. The whole the whole by the way is like it's small enough that he gets his legs stuck in it. Yeah, it yeah. starts so out and then, but at, towards the end of the film, he just starts carving it out, right. seeking yeah. some sort of catharsis. Umbrella <laughs> goes through it very like Rafifi, you know, Rafifi. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking Rafifi. Yeah, it, it's it, it's hopeful in that it's very positive imagery, mm-hmm. but I feel there's definitely an ambivalence to what's going oh, on. Oh, sure, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, look at the end of something like Eraserhead. It's like, oh, it's full of light and <laughs> sound. And, oh, wait, he, he is he, I think he's dead. You know, it's it's the, something it's dark really could alive. also be happening simultaneously. Yeah, they could, both, they could both be dead at the end. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, but it, or, or uh, you know, something like Pan's Labyrinth. It's a gesture of, mm-hmm. of rescue, and I, mm-hmm. and I, you know, you take what you can get. Well, after his films. after the course of this movie and watching them like kind of yell at each other and hate each other, that they actually bothered to reach out and touch one another, like actually phys- make physical contact, uh, is 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 really important. And I, I think there's a lot of, I've noticed in Simon Lang movies a lot of scenes of people getting very physically close without touching. Right. Where uh, people are desperate to be near and desperate to touch but cannot there's like a barrier yeah. between uh, between the characters so when they actually do it, it is a, a huge cathartic moment that's a big part of Goodbye Dragon Inn which we'll get mm, to yeah. uh, the, this character who is 
constantly Seeking near connection. near other people I, right. and never actually touches anybody. Um, yeah. Also, I think it's worth pointing out. Um, deserves to be pointed out with mm. the whole is just one of the best cats. Just a lovely, lovely <laughs> kitty. Oh, kitty cat. Um, yeah, cats also appear to be a, 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 a theme in, in size mm. work. Um, and yeah, mm. just quality cat yeah. in this movie. Bibbs would be proud. Um, so yeah, the whole is is it's 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 a surprisingly emotional watch today. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I I, I thoroughly mm. enjoyed myself. <laughs> it, there's a, an element of it that I felt pretty strongly when I saw Stray Dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, again, uh, Lee Kang Sheng in an environment where he is homeless and having to take care of two, his two children. Uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a world that does not care whether he lives or dies, right. whether they live or die. Uh, there's a song that he is singing in Stray Dogs as he stands in the rain, because it's always raining. Uh, he stands in the rain holding his you know, real estate uh, placard. But he sings a song, uh, and I'm paraphrasing one of the lines in the song, but it is, it is a protest song, like a mm-hmm. worker's protest song. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the line that I, that, that I remember very you know, distinctly, again, paraphrased, is when will when will the empire? When will the when will when will the subjects of the empire? When will their grief come to an end? Mm-hmm. And the answer is most usually it's not going to. Uh, but the whole made me think quite a bit about Stray Dogs as I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. It had been a long time since I'd seen it. So, and there, once you've not seen a film for you know twenty years. Haven't uh, haven't had the pleasure yet. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have. Well, when you turn fifty-seven, like me, you'll have that. You'll have that opportunity. The uh, uh, rewatching something like this is always a, a chance to see it with eyes that have seen more things since yeah. you since you last you know were there with the film, um, and uh, particularly in the case of Simon Lang you get a more full appreciation of what he began in the 90s and where he wound up mm-hmm. today. Um, all right. So I guess that's... The whole is, is streaming on of it. That is the yeah. film that you can see. Um, but uh, the, That one and Rebels of the Neon God are the which, two... Yeah, which again, uh, which we reviewed. Two timing length films that are on of it. Yeah. Um, one that is not streaming on Ovid and unfortunately is no longer streaming on Projector.tv. Right, Grasshopper has a... a Movie club. A, yeah, a, a, mm. a, an online presence called Projector.tv. It's Projector with no no, no, no O. o. It's right. Yeah, we took Projector. Yeah, yeah, we took them all. <laughs> yeah, I took all those O's. And uh, I think the last day to stream it was yesterday. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I got a, like the last minute. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> I suspect, you know... It'll pop up somewhere else right. soon enough. Uh, Hopefully, it was. It's a documentary. It was shot in, uh, I would say, 2014, 2015. After, shortly after, after Stray Dogs. Shortly after Stray Dogs, because what we are, what we what we hear in the documentary is uh, Lee Kang Sheng asking Sai, "Why are we talking about all this other stuff that we're talking about?" <laughs> Isn't this like a promotional interview? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and what afternoon is? is a two hour and 20 minute documentary 
composed of four long static shots right. of Simon Lang and Lee Kang Sheng. All, all from the same angle. Right. All from the yeah. same angle. It's literally they just set up a camera, yeah. and I think each shot is exactly like 34 minutes long. It's yeah. just how long that the memory had or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, them talking. Mm. Uh, and mostly it's Simon Lang talking. Right. Uh, Lee Kang Sheng is a quiet man. Mm. He. He, he smiles sometimes, and he nods. Uh, occasionally. Occasionally, uh, when Simon Lang is talking. Uh, but you don't get a lot from him. Mm. In the same way that you don't get a lot from him in the films, the narrative films that mm. they make together. And when I say you don't get a lot, I don't, I, what I mean is you don't hear him speak very often. Mm. Uh, Simon Lang's films are uh, low on dialogue. <laughs> You're not... Uh, if you rely on people telling you stuff in his films, you're going to be frustrated. <laughs> so they sit and they talk. Uh, and they mostly talk about Simon Lang's love for Lee uh, and uh, his own life, his fears about dying, his fears about uh, what might, what he thought might be the end of his career. In his own words, uh, we are a director and an actor who are not popular, making films that people don't understand. <laughs> and and while that is uh, the case, uh, what you see in his career is something that, I, if I had been him in 2014, I might be thinking the same thing. Because... He kind of bursts onto the scene with Rebels of the Neon God. Mm -hmm. Awards, festivals, awards, festivals. You know, people writing articles about you, people interviewing you. You you make, you know, what are your most, you know, well-received films in the early to mid-2000s, like What Time Is It There, mm -hmm. Goodbye Dragon Inn. And then there's this slow kind of folding in where, this is the story I was about to tell you before we turn on the mic. I saw What Time Is It There uh, at the New Art mm. here in Los Angeles when it came out, 2001, 2002. I think that was before I had started working there. But... I was one of three people. <laughs> that sounds about right. In yeah. the theater. And I thought... I thought this guy was sort of like a big art house heavy hitter, right? Um, well, then you got there were three other people. You got a big crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Not long after that, I read an article about in the LA Times about the difficulty in finding uh, ticket buying patrons for not simply his films, although his although what time is it there uh, was used as an example in the in the article, but. Uh, art house from Asian countries kind of across the board in mm -hmm. Los Angeles and now and this again this was a, an article written in the early to mid 2000s but they singled out what time is it there as an example of like one of the lowest box office takes that the new art had ever had and and I thought that breaks my heart because <laughs> I love this man's movie so much uh, but over time, because you wouldn't, uh, very often you would not see his films booked into art house theaters mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. 
you had to wait for the DVD to show up somewhere. Um, they just, the Lemley would infrequently play his stuff. Um, I saw Stray Dogs at the Hammer Museum. Yeah. It was a one night only deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, part of a Taiwanese film festival. And so you, you get what he's talking about in afternoon, uh, his sort of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the museums now. Right. You know, I mean, this film was intended for a museum. Yeah. Audiences are not super receptive to what I do. Uh, by way of digression, I was on a different podcast earlier this week, which is mm-hmm. unlikely thing that happens to me. I never get invited on other people's podcasts. Alonzo's always out there <laughs> on someone else's show, mm-hmm. not me. But these other these other guys who do a show called Cinepunks, they um, they did an episode about a Pishak Pong or something. Oh, and nice. one of my other favorite filmmakers, <laughs> and uh, he came under fire in Thailand uh, for his content, and the censor boards mm-hmm. wanted to make him cut things, and he said no, no. I, I just made, don't I made show my movie yeah. in Thailand. I have other countries where I can show this movie. Mm. Uh, and they interviewed one of the censors about it, and she said, no one goes to his movies anyway. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so it's unpopular even she in said, Thailand. She no said, in Thailand likes him anyway. And so uh, I was like, okay. You know, I, but box office comparable a Pishat Pongura Sethakun is more like, you know, Christopher Nolan in terms of <laughs> box office compared to Simon Lang. Mm. Um, although, when we get to Goodbye Dragon Inn, uh, I'll just say it right now, uh, a Pishat Pongura Sethakun tweeted about Goodbye Dragon Inn and said, this is the best, best film movie. of the past 125 years. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's love there between them. Yeah. I'm very happy about that. Uh, anyway, afternoon. Mm. His fears of his career are, are discussed, and he, you know, talks about him at some length. Uh, he cries mm-hmm. with with ease, like he's a, yeah, he's, like two minutes into this movie, he's, he's crying already because <laughs> he thinks he has this idea in his head that he's going to die soon. Yeah, he didn't. <laughs> Thank goodness. And so, and, um, and, and, and he, he wasn't. It wasn't like you know. Some sort of t- tumult in, in his personal life where no. he's going to get killed or he no. was ill or something. No, 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 they no. mentioned at one point that several of their friends have passed away recently, including they're, they're, a gaffer that he had worked with. Yeah. Re- and one of the right. actors yeah. that they, he worked with frequently. Um, and eventually you do hear from Lee Kang Sheng, who, again, like I say, he sits there pretty quietly mm-hmm. for the most part. And the thing that I like about Lee Kang Sheng in this film is that he just very simply says, you know, I'm not ambitious. I'm a man of little desires. Yeah, I have little desires. I'm not competitive in my career. Uh, and I work with you because I'm the only one that can put up with your temper. <laughs> right. Uh, you don't get the sense that they are lovers, although that has been... An, uh, uh, I mean, they live together. They live together in the same house. The home, the, the house the, where we're... The house we're in is the one they've recently purchased together. Uh I assume they're renovating it. I don't yeah, know. I mean, they mentioned. It looks I think like they're... a set for one of Timing Timing Lang's films. Right. It, it, it. I think they mentioned at one point that it was abandoned, yeah. and then they bought it, and they're going to fix it up. And uh, this would appear to be a platonic relationship that might be, as a queer viewer mm-hmm. who understands, and we all are, that you know, uh, 
that there is sometimes in life, you know, the desire for people who will not reciprocate because they are not queer. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the, I, I've always gotten a vibe <laughs> that, that this is an artist and a muse mm. and an unrequited adoration. Right. Requited in a platonic, I love you, you're my friend sense, but not yeah. perhaps in the way that Simon Light would, would most well, wish. I hmm. cannot put words in his mouth. I cannot put thoughts in his head. It's just me reading <laughs> these films yeah. and these interactions with him. So if you're listening, yeah. Mr. Tsai. First not, of all, how did you to, get here? Not, <laughs> trying to, not, trying to tell people, not trying to tell you who you are, yeah. but you know. Well, that, but they do discuss the the nature of their relationship. Yeah. Uh, and in, in fact, they there's a lot of conversation. Uh, it's about ninety minutes into the film. They kind of stop and look at the camera and says, "We haven't said anything yet." <laughs> it's like they've been talking for ninety minutes, right. uh, and that's when they start discussing sort of their relationship as as an actor and a director, right? They, and also personally, it's not until and, the third yeah. like take, if you will, right. that they start discussing their actual process, uh, right? And and. It, in so doing, I, I got less of this sort of un, unrequited uh, affection. Yeah. Uh, I didn't sense much affection between these two people at all. In fact, I, I felt, sensed like a friendship where they have a terrible rapport. And uh, <laughs> like, like they, they, get, they get along, but they don't converse well. So it's actually right. really frustrating to watch this like two hour plus movie of these people kind of starting an idea and then putting a button on it and then waiting a few minutes before starting up again. I mean, at certain, and, uh, and by the third shot, like, yeah. the crew is literally asking Lee questions so that he will talk. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, so I'm getting this sense that uh, Tsai Ming Lang is the, the artist. He's reaching he out. The, he's the one who is trying to explore ideas. He's not, uh, like, a self-styled intellectual. He's not a no, raconteur. No. He's, not, he's not trying to show off in any kind of way. And there are filmmakers like that. Yeah. Uh, He's just trying to sort of share a lot of personal stuff and tell some personal stories and get a rapport going. And it never begins. And in fact, um, one of them even says at one point, because we never communicate and because we have never developed any kind of personal affection, that makes us better professionals. And uh, as such, I'm... The, the sense of their relationship I'm getting is somebody who, like, they admire each other as as actors, and they're kind of on the same page, but they don't really know how to communicate their their processes to one another. Yeah. Uh, which, I, I don't know how you give direction under, under uh, I mean, he circumstances mostly says like that. that I don't really give Lee direction. Mm-hmm. I just kind of let him do it. I don't ask how he's feeling, because I just want to... Name. I'm just trying to document him. Right. Which which is odd because... And you're going to buy uh, a house together. <laughs> yeah. And live in and the same place for right. 20 years. And but uh, I, I I read the Wikipedia article for The Hole just to get a little, little bit of background. And it yeah. said on there that um, Lee was given a huge amount of direction during that movie. Whereas his co-star was not. Yeah. And, uh, was it the other way around? Maybe. Oh, maybe, maybe I mixed him up. I apologize if I, <laughs> if I just did that. Um Oh no! She needed a lot of direction. And right. He and he Excuse me. I apologize. Yeah. So um, yeah, they. Okay. Well, that torpedoes that idea. But uh, <laughs> forget it. Don't listen to me. I'm, I'm not worth listening to. Um, okay. So, but clearly, like they they had 
some kind of understanding um, mm. of, of one another's process, even if they're unable, as documented in this film, are unable to communicate it in any kind of verbal way. Right. Um, Maybe when the cameras are off and like they were just uncomfortable in front of the cameras and they didn't know how to communicate in front of the cameras with the microphones running in a natural sort of way, right. and they're just chatterboxes with one another once right. the cameras well, stop rolling. They do, I mean, they talk, I mean, side talks at length, and how, like, we don't really, I mean, we've been together for 20 years, essentially. We don't really talk that much. Right. I mean, I'm always the one calling you from wherever I am in the world. I have to hear your voice every day. Um, and, uh, and, and we live together in this house, but, like, we don't really share that many words. Is Alonzo here? I think he may have left without his key. Oh, jeez. Oh, Alonzo's here, everyone. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking uh, about afternoon. Talking they're, about... They're, they're buying a house together. Right. Uh, they're... Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and... And they and they don't, but they don't ever say that many words to each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And Lee, I mean, Lee isn't—he's not homophobic by any stretch of the means. At one no. point, like you couldn't si- possibly. Be. No, but like size, though maybe his mother is. Yes. Dis- disgusted at one Actual point. sex with someone in the new movie. So. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, seriously? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like unsimulated days. Yeah. Okay, oh, I haven't. Days. That's yeah, this new yeah. one. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. all right, so. But anyway, so and 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 at one point, yeah, like he Cy asks him, and he's like, "Does it bother you that I'm gay?" And he's like, "I'm not sure what it has to do with me." It's like, "Yeah, but does it bother you?" And he's just right. he's, just, he's mm-hmm. asking for him to talk, and finally he and says, "Is like, that, yeah. well, I mean, I'm worried that you might, you know, I worry for your health, like, you know, right. like STDs. Right. I wait outside of the gay I saunas. Wait, I wait outside the bathhouse for um, you. to just uh, make sure that you're okay. Like they clearly they." They haven't, as they, as discussed, like a, wait, wait a second. <laughs> they, 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 they carpool to the saunas. To the he just doesn't go in. Yeah. Um, it just they have a connection. They have a connection. It's just that that it's not it's not much a verbal one. Right. Um, right. What I what I loved watching this movie is yes, I will go on these long monologues. Um, one, still one of the favorite projects that I've done is uh, for. Bibbs and Whitney's podcast, My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Yes. Talking about My Dinner with Andre. And um, I, it's it's one of my main takeaways. It's like, I want these movies where two people just have a conversation to be a genre. Um, not just a single film that we all yeah. have to go back to these two uh, uh, egotistical New York intellectuals. I want yeah. other people to talk. And so this was, for me, like another... Mm-hmm. Another one of those films, another yeah. installment, installment mm-hmm. in that genre. And what I loved is just that Cy would go on these long monologues, and then Lee would just say one thing, and the entire crew would burst out laughing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, or towards the begin, the opening of the film is like, uh, you want your toes are yellow. It's like, yeah. That's my favorite <laughs> moment because oh, it talks about uh, the sulfur. sulfur on his feet. Yeah, I'll let yeah. You say what happened. Well, yeah, just uh, the opening of the film is 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 Cy points out. It's like your toes are yellow. It's like yeah, because you make me want barefoot for this play, and I'm walking miles and miles and miles every day barefoot. And yeah, I've got athlete's foot. <laughs> if you can be in a dozen films from a filmmaker where nothing is ever dry. <laughs> there is oh God. a puddle in your bedroom where you know you are wading through sewage where you are face down in dirty water playing uh, sports you know like uh, the, the, you're gonna get athletes mm-hmm. yeah 
Uh, the fact that it took up until 2014 is a miracle. Yeah, that's what surprises me. Maybe it's not the first time, but, yeah. you know, he's like, why are your feet yellow? He's like, what's that? They've got sulfur all over them because you do these things to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I will say this. If, 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 if you're thinking of watching this movie, um, watch all the other ones first. This is yeah, a yeah. film for people who are already very familiar with, you know, this director, this actor, the work they've done together, the... Uh, the, the, the incredibly symbiotic relationship that they have. Uh, it, it, it is wise to watch this last. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. All right. Uh, I mean, th- I this have... is my fourth Simon Lang film. Same. So, yeah, I, I was wise enough oh, to at least yeah. see three of them. Two or three, uh, yeah. fine. Go ahead and yeah. do it. But, like, just at least one or two. You yeah. need some context. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. And, yeah, and because and throughout the film, they'll just reference all of the movies yeah, that they've right. done together. And you'll just, if you haven't seen them, you'll have to take it on faith, essentially. You, yeah. <laughs> um, Pretty much. Yeah. My favorite moment in, in, in the entire film, aside from the ending, because, of course, the film ends with them walking off camera long before the shot ends right. and so we just you've got like two to three more minutes of yeah and we get to you chairs know, right just the chairs in this yeah. corner room and by the way what a gorgeous shot it is yeah. um, seeing through these windows we get to see the, the day shift and like the light enter through the and it's, it's all just so beautiful but my favorite moment outside of the ending was just when he's like you know after pouring out of his, his emotions for an hour he sighs just like well Will you cry when I die? And Lee's like, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Just like, and that, that pretty much encapsulates this movie. Is what else? Sigh, yeah. pouring out his soul. And Lee's like, yep. You you work too hard, man. And I don't think you should get a dog. Right. And I don't think there is a lack of, of love there on the part of Lee. No. I don't think there's a lack of affection. I just think there is an incredibly taciturn person who mm-hmm. does not express himself outside of the work they do to him. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, he is quiet, he is deadpan, he, you know, monosyllables as responses. And, you know, I think I think that's what keeps Mr. Tsai coming back for more. Mm-hmm. You know, I will I will win you, you know, someday. Yeah. Not not in a romantic way, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Someday I'm going to get you to open up for crying get, out loud. Get, get yeah. through that shell. Yeah, just because, yeah. All right. Um, so that that's afternoon. And then finally, this one isn't streaming anywhere. If you look hard enough, you can find it. But um, Someone put it up on YouTube. Right, like after two, I had Two seen. days ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and I imagine they'll rip it down as soon as somebody finds Maybe. it. Yeah. 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 Also, stay up for a while. Right. Mm. To, to, I mean... There is a Blu-ray that you can go out and buy, an all-region yeah. Blu-ray. That's yeah. what I own. Yeah. Because the first time I saw it, it was actually... I mean, going back to what made me want to start this podcast is when I was with the movie club and I did the double feature of what, Where Does Your Hidden Smile Lie in Cecilia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my word. Um, and then yeah. Dragon Inn and Goodbye Dragon Inn, which yeah. is the third film we're talking about. And as I couldn't find it streaming anywhere, so I did a little scrounging around, right. found it, and then immediately bought the Blu-ray because this is one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Goodbye Dragon Inn is size film from 2003. And yeah. it opens with... It's never explained, because nothing's ever explained, um, with I, what looks like the opening night of maybe this this big art... this big theater. Mm-hmm. And they're showing Goodbye Dragon Inn. And mm-hmm. then we get a cut, and we're now at 
the closing night of Goodbye yeah. Dragon or uh, of this theater. Yeah. And they are once again showing Dragon Inn. But this yeah. time instead of a packed house and clean seats, it's eight people in this gigantic like thousand seat theater and uh, and everything is is once again it's raining, the floor the ceiling's leaking, yeah. everything's dilapidated. Yeah. T- taking care of a ceiling right. leak is, yeah. is like a, a, a plot point, if, right. if you could call it that. And over the course of this 80-minute film, we get various characters with their own little narratives going about throughout this theater. We have, um, we have a, a Japanese man who is in search of um, attention. Yeah. Um, it, this, the theater has become a cruising space. Yes. Mm. Um, um, which is not, you know, unlike what often happens to, you know, disused uh, spaces right. in the world. If, if no one's around, you know, uh, yeah. closeted men can do what they need to do in relative private. Right. Um, even though it's absolutely public. Yeah. So, um, so we have him. We've got, we've, we have the, the Japanese tourists. And then we also have a ticket woman. Yep. Um, who is played by uh, Simon Le- Regular. Uh, you go for it with the name. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chen Shang Chi. Chi. I'm not. I'm sorry that I mm-hmm. probably just killed that name. But yeah. uh, uh, she's in as she's in almost as many films yes. as Lee Kang Shang. Right. Not um, all of them. No. But, but many, many, many yeah. of them. So she's the ticket woman. Right. Yeah. And she is at the at the, in the first scene we see her. We have she has this little uh, uh, bun. Um, Steamed I'm, pork bun. She's right. going to share it with the, the projectionist. projectionist. I mean, it's never said as much, but right. she goes in search of of someone. Goes up to the projection booth, doesn't find him, and mm-hmm. yeah, the throughout the film is searching for this for this for this projectionist. So, something uh, Tsai Ming Lang does with his his spaces. They're not just damp, but he also kind of deliberately eschews the geography of these places. They mm-hmm. tend to be these uh, labyrinth. Yeah, these like masses of hallways and, and like wet open stairways. Yeah, wet open spaces that somehow like turn into a really narrow staircase, and mm-hmm. then they're in they're in a projection booth, but it feels like like a 1970s rec room that's under construction. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, not until the end of this film mm. that we even see the full theater. Yeah, we, there's but a, when a we do, wide shot of we the just theater. look at it for a few minutes because, right. <laughs> of course. Um, and uh, I, I think there's something incredibly accurate about that. I, I talked about this when we talked about uh, Rebels of the Neon God, about his attention to... Uh, I don't want to say filth, just uh, things that are really worn down, yeah. things that are really dilapidated, uh, to the point where it becomes in, an incredibly visceral experience mm-hmm. watching his movies. You can you know what that that texture of paint feels like, yeah. what the weight of the things people pick up, right. uh, in, in a way that um, I, I think really lends a lot of not just personality but uh, like theme like thematic uh, heft to the movie right. where the, the actual physical space where th- people exist you were talking about you know the discarded people this is where they live in terms of a movie theater though there's a lot more of a haunted quality to it, mm. and, <laughs> and yeah, and so yeah, somebody says this place is haunted. It's and the you, first line of dialogue in the movie, yeah. about halfway through. Yeah, yeah. but uh, and that's you go to any movie theater and ask any employee who's worked there for a while, and they'll tell you how the, the place is haunted. Right. Uh, we, I saw a ghost in theater number six in this right. like is the art, art, like multiplex. Whitney? No. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> 
No, the, the the new Beverly's not haunted. It's just where I work. Um, <laughs> so you're haunted. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the ghost in the booth. You're the, you're the ghost. Yeah. Uh, but this idea of a movie theater uh, having a memory is something that he's. It's it's like a new new element to the equation. Uh, in, in all of the other ones, it's where people have sort of. Uh, sifted downward and fallen and landed mm-hmm. at, at the the uh, and this film is about the, flushing them out of this space. Well, it, it's about the space has shed it, like its people, but it still has a memory. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I don't get that from his other spaces. His other spaces are just he very deliberately depict, depicts them as just the space. Yes, uh, this he, is a place he loves. Yeah, there, there's yeah. there's affection. There's there's there's. Not not a warmth, but uh, a, reg- a definite regard for this area, and he's looking at this dilapidated space and saying that it's beautiful. Right. Yeah. There's an infinite mm. detail to this space. Mm. All of the all of the hallways and uh, storage rooms are filled. Yeah. Filled. Some spaces are empty, but a lot aren't. And yeah, so it's you could say is is film this film is is contemplative and slow moving, but mm. not minimalist because there's so much you can look at. <laughs> well, true. Uh, yeah. uh, there, we have not yet mentioned the fact that there are uh, uh, people from the film Dragon Inn in the film in this film right. by Dragon Inn who are in the theater watching the film. Uh, they're you know, playing themselves, mm-hmm. and that, as you were saying, the space has a memory. Those actors are are reliving their own memory mm-hmm. uh, while they watch, um, and I think that so much of this film comes down to gestures of people who long for someone else uh, mm-hmm. they might they may they might long for you know the space uh, but often they're longing for you know connection to another human being who may be inside the building and who may never you know who they may never encounter again mm-hmm. uh, you know the pork bun becomes very important because she knows that this is their last night working together. And she she wants to say something to him. And all she can do is give him the food, and she doesn't even really know if that's gonna be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so of all, the, of all of Simon Lang's films, this is my favorite, because it feels like it's the, the most full of uh, emotion that that is so often sort of tamped down mm-hmm. in, in, in the rest of his, uh, you know, output. So. Well, it, it, it's the one that's not about alienation. Right. It's, it's the one that's not about being distant. It's a, yeah. a film about, to use your word, longing for, yeah. for closeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it... it of the films I've I've seen, I haven't seen them all yet. Um, I'm going to just because I'm really I'm falling in love with this filmmaker. Uh, but yeah, it's this one stands apart. And yeah, of of the ones I've seen, 
I don't know, I really like Rebels of the Neon God as well, but right. I, I, I love you, that I love was this just one, an, yeah. an injection of nostalgia for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm I'm hanging out in an arcade in the '90s. Really, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, another nostalgic factor. Um, I worked at the Wilshire Theater uh, very briefly when the new art was under construction. Right. And. While I was working there, a word came down that the guy who owned the lease to the building somehow pulled strings and yanked the lease out from under the, the owners. It's like the, the theater was set to be in operation, I think, for like another five to seven years. Yeah. And he just said, nope, you're out. But like by the end of the month, right. he just said, and, and I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to put in blue jeans stores. Because right. he, he's just a landlord. He doesn't care. And um, right. uh, the story goes Landlords that... Landlords uh, rarely do. No, they Which they they, they produce the nothing. But uh, 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 yeah. themes and size. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Work. You watch yeah. uh, Viva La More, uh, Stray Dogs. They both involve real estate okay. and the heartlessness uh, involved in that profession. Mm. But uh, the story goes that Mark Cuban, who owns uh, Landmark Theater's parent company, put up his own personal money to have that building declared a landmark just so the landlord couldn't tear it down, like out of spite. Uh, that's uh, what we did mm. with, uh, I say we because I was a part of this group of neighbors mm. in our in our part of West Hollywood. Uh, that's what we did with a local, bur a local roadside burger stand. Oh, was this Irv's? Uh, Irv's Burgers, yeah. uh, a place that was in operation since 1946. Um, and, you know, greedy landlords came in and decided, no, oh, we're going to sell it, we're going to turn it into a pizza coffee, and uh, we're going to tear it down. And the neighborhood said, the damn UAM. And so <laughs> we, uh, you know, lobbied to have a historic, have it turned into a historical landmark. Mm. Um, we did. It was great. Uh, there were. I went to. I'll tell you something. You ever been to a city planning meeting or a city council? I've seen oh, city hall. Uh, oh my god! I've, I, I did it as, as a boy scout those, several times. Those yeah. kind of meetings are a trip, and uh, you know, it didn't ultimately, in the end, save the business. Uh, but that structure still stands awesome. around the corner. Nice. Um, and, and I'll tell you another reason. I know now I'm digressing. I'm digressing exactly in the way that Nick Pinkerton does in the book. Good <laughs> I was going to say, it's uh, like, that's a rather thick book. The, uh, uh, this film gives me lots of, you know, personal associations as well. Because when I was a little kid, hmm. because I'm quite old now, uh, I was a small child in the early 1970s. And our town was not that big. And we had a huge old movie theater in the town that was still functional as a movie theater. Big one screen, held like 900 people. Wow. And uh, every Saturday afternoon and Sunday, uh, at the time, in the 1970s, there was this thing called the Kitty Matinee Circuit, you know, where children's films and other old films that were sort of deemed suitable for children, like The Adventures of Robin Hood or you know, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, stuff like that, National Velvet. Those films would come to those theaters every every Saturday, Sunday afternoon, and your parents would drop you off. And, and leave. Seven, I was seven years old, being dropped off at a movie theater alone. Mm -hmm. My mom would just be like, I'll be back in two hours, I'm going grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. And there was this sort of community trust, you know, like... Your kid is safe here for the next two hours. And so I went every weekend. 
she would drop me there. And when my family left uh, that town, you know, that part of my childhood, uh, you know, that was done. Mm. A few years ago, uh, we had the opportunity, my husband, Alonzo, and I, we had the opportunity to uh, go to visit some family in Maine. And on our way driving back through New Hampshire, which is where this town was, where I was a small child, uh, on our way back to Boston to the airport, we stopped at the theater. Still functional, uh, still operational now, sort of a repertory house, mm -hmm. uh, but absolutely renovated. There's like a bar downstairs now, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, musicians play there when they're not having films. You know, it's this whole big, you know, Sounds nice. City landmark space. It's, it's over 100 years old, this theater. And I walk in, and nothing looks the same. Mm. Absolutely nothing looks the same. It's significantly smaller than I remember, even though the actual <laughs> theater itself still holds about 900 people. Uh, and I walk up to the woman at the box office, and I said, Hi, uh, is there any chance that we can go upstairs and look around? Mm. And I said, I grew up here. I was at this theater every Sunday, Saturday when I was seven. Uh, it's super important to me. I'm a film critic now. You know, can we look? And she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Like, insurance. Ugh. It's insurance problems. I can't yeah. let you up there. Uh, oh. unless, it's a, unless it's a showtime and you have a ticket and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and my like, God. And Alonzo stepped in. This is so funny. He never does this. Never does this. He goes, you know, he's... He's a nationally published film critic. He's a, <laughs> author. like you can find his book at Barnes and Noble, and she's like, "I'm sorry, no." Wow. Like he was really going to be like, "Do you know who this is?" <laughs> and I'm literally nobody. I am. I'm. I am the opposite of somebody. Uh, but he was going to pull. He was going to try to pull the. Come on, this guy's. Mm. This guy's somebody, you know. Uh, she was like, "Nope, bye." That makes me feel oh, God. so terrible because... Through the door, oh. out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Just because a couple nights ago, I was given the real, incredibly gracious privilege to yeah. go up and see Whitney at the New Beverly. Yeah. And so got to, got I got to, to see Got to show him. you around the booth. That's right. right, yeah, and got to see him, you know, and got to through the little view screen, got to see right. the end of Cinema Paradiso. Right. And so it was just like, well, this is freaking perfect. And so right. now I feel bad almost. Yeah. It's like... No, it was a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally yeah. a bummer. Uh, I, I, and uh, the other theaters that I went to when I was a child, they are torn down. Yeah, like, yeah. Little, the, the, little uh, two screeners that were next to the bowling alley or whatever. Um, Gone. Uh, gone, gone. Th there and were so, like a, a dozen theaters in Westwood over here, and I went to a lot of those as a teen, and yeah, right. th those are all gone now. I worked yeah. at the Criterion Theater, uh, which was on 3rd Street Promenade. That got turned into a Brookstone, and now even the Brookstone is closed. Right. Um, yeah, they, so they anyway, just rip them all apart. This, this we film, love theaters if you can if you can get it. This film is, is uh, extra El elegiac, to me yeah. as an old person who grew up in a very much older movie theater. Uh, learning that this was the thing I was most interested in. Um, something I something I want to point out because I watched this film, I rewatched this film with Mark Mark Hoyk um, yeah. uh, this week um, in preparation for this, and he had always wanted to see it, so I showed him it. And the one thing he brought up was, and I think it's a, a valid point, is that the use of the leg brace yes. in this film to him almost felt like a gimmick. 
like mm. as a way to like use this you know disability handicap yeah. as a way of prolonging the slowness to and to keep that slow pace that she's well, and, walking slowly everywhere and you and hear the rhythmic clang of her leg brace and so and I was just, symbolic I was as well because you know there's this theater has is is also like on, on its last right. leg, as it were. And, and and so I just so his 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 he pointed out this like it it might that almost gimmicky use of a disability might not play. Hmm. Um, it it might be slight, somewhat problematic. I hadn't thought of it, and as soon as he said, it, I was like, yeah, I guess I can see that if I if think, someone had an issue with that. There might be viewers who do. I considered that in the times I've seen this film. And my understanding of Simon Lang is that, you know, I, over the course of his, his output, I've never known him to be uh, explosive of, yeah. of his characters. Yeah. And so that that's the one thing I hold on to. Mm-hmm. When I look at that and think, could that be considered potentially a problem for, mm-hmm. for some viewers and it might still be a problem oh, I, I, well, I'd, lo- I'd love uh, to hear a disabled critic talk about I, right yeah, but I have never I've never considered him to be a person who exploits mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, his character he's an empathetic director I would, that, that's my understanding yeah him, so. um, yeah the, the one thing that I noticed the first time I saw this that I was like hey was that because the first time I saw this it was as a double feature I had just seen Dragon Inn the yeah. the action film from 1967 right. Right. that stars uh, uh, Miao Tian who's in this film who's, in this who's, film? who's yeah. also a Siming Ling regular uh-huh. he's in the hole he's in Rebels of the Young God um, and they mention him in, in Afternoon and then also the star of, of, of Dragon Inn and so they're in this film anyway and so the first time I, I, I saw it I was like I noticed because this movie's 80 minutes and it goes over the entire length of the film. So I, I gathered that they would have obviously you wouldn't see all of the movie, but they also reordered some scenes. And so when I the first time I saw it, I was like, "Hey, that scene doesn't come yet. You skipped the, the end." Yeah. Anyway, but watching it, <laughs> but watching it the dri- second, drives me crazy. Um, yeah, it's yes, yeah, like I had just yeah. seen the movie and now they were playing the scenes out of order, and mm. I was like, "Hold on." But the second time I saw it is that it was like, oh wait, he had a really good reason is that the when the one most notably where they removed a scene through halfway and put it right towards the end is when we see the moment where we finally see these two older actors right. mm-hmm. and then we see their big scene together yeah. in the movie. And so yeah. I was like, oh, got it. No. So, yeah. Continuity um, so, error for a reason, right? It's right. it's it's a motivated uh, mm-hmm. uh, editing choice, which yeah. I I appreciated more the, mm-hmm. the the second time around. This movie is one of the best things I've ever seen, frankly. Uh yeah, it's I would call this one of my one of my sort of all timers. Mm-hmm. I mean, a picture mm-hmm. my weird ethical called this the best movie yeah. essentially ever yeah. made, and I'm not gonna fight him. I mean, I'll say Cleo from five to seven, but I'm not gonna fight him. <laughs> would you? Uh, and, and, and Gremlins two, the new batch. Yeah, um, we we just discussed this. If you'd like to laugh. Though, may I direct you to the Amazon customer review? Oh yes, oh, those are always no. fun. okay. I have my phone. I got. I got to look uh, this up. Hang people on. People with hang subject on. lines that say things like "goodbye" and "don't come back." <laughs> uh, <laughs> this film hates Dragon Inn, and it also hates you. Oh, uh, yeah, really angry people. Uh, by who I can only be amused. You know? I'm, I'm wondering if there are like some. Uh, What's the name of the director of of Dragon and Kings? 
king something. King who? King, king who? It's, yeah, it's a king. You're, I'm now blank because you guys are blanking. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> also did a touch of Zen, and uh, I've, I've yeah. seen seen works by this director. Yeah. Um, I'm getting king up. King who? Yeah. King who. Um, I'm wondering if there are King Who purists out there who are watching this and saying, well, yeah, this, this is this is so disrespectful that yeah. that this dying, crumbling art house edifice that, that looks more like a gymnasium than an actual right. theater would be like the site of this this gigantic, wonderful, venerated Chinese oh, wow. classic. Uh, maybe they're, they're taking issue with Simon Lang kind of using it yeah. as fodder yeah. for this slow-moving film about affection and entropy. I will say my experience of uh, folks who sort of reject art film uh, is often that uh, they think that someone is trying to put one over on them. You know, uh, they think that the filmmakers are trying to trick them into something. They mm -hmm. think that the filmmaker is making fun of them, laughing at them, condescending. Ha, ha, I got you to watch this 80-minute movie where about, there are where nine nothing, lines of dialogue. Where nothing yeah. happens. Um, the people who say, why can't David Lynch make a just a regular movie? Right. Yeah. It's, it I mean, is, he did. It's called Wild at Heart. And it's an attitude that's that you will never... It's an attitude that you will never convert into something else. Mm -hmm. You can only hear that... And again, like I said, be amused by it, uh, and then go about your business because there is an audience for this sort of film. I know because I am part of that audience, mm -hmm. and I have spent you know thirty, forty years of my life trying to tell friends, family, no, 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 I really do love this. I'm not just trying to be a smarty pants. I'm. This is what I'm down for. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think I'm a smarty pants. I don't think I'm an elitist. I don't think I'm, you know, fancy. Uh, it's just what I like. And and the, you, you'll never win. It's not an argument you can win. Mm -hmm. um, it's not an argument that you should be a part of. Let them say what they say. Let them be unhappy about it. And let them go their very way. Uh, but I, I, if, I found the review you were talking about. <laughs> Uh, the makers of this film hate Dragon Inn and hate you. <laughs> Many people say Goodbye Dragon Inn is a non-film intentionally devoid of any artistic merit and it's borderline right. sadistic celebration of the death of cinema. Oh the filmmakers show you are a rare few seconds of Dragon Inn to remind you of what cinema once was, then shows you a series of five-minute long static shots <laughs> of empty rooms and hallways and staircases to show you that Dragon Inn's era of entertaining meaningful cinema is over. Right doesn't mourn Dragon Inn, though. It spits on its oh, predecessor's Lord. grave. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. Lord. So, you know, uh, there are going to be people yeah. who are angry, uh, and they're going to just stay that way, I guess. Mm. So, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, mm. yeah. I mean, for me, like, roll the clock back six, seven years, and I am my the person who's like, who are your favorite filmmakers? And I'm going to say Nolan, Villeneuve, uh, uh, P.T. Anderson right. and Aaron Sorkin. I've changed. Um, <laughs> uh, I still love. I still love Mr. Anderson. Uh, I, I still like. I still yeah. like a, a, a lot of what he's done. Um, have, uh, have I told you my wife's critical theory about P.T. Anderson? Oh yes, the Seven Deadly uh, Sins. Uh, the, the, he, he's made eight feature films to date, yeah. uh, excluding Hard Aged for the time being. Uh, yeah. The other seven, each one represents a different deadly sin. Interesting. Uh, Boogie Nights. Bo is Boogie Nights is lust. lust. Uh, 
um, Magnolia is Envy. Yeah. Uh, Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love is Wrath. Uh, uh, inherent, be, inherent Vice is Sloth. There Will Be Blood There Will Be Blood greed. is Greed. The Master is Pride. The, the Master is Pride, and Phantom, uh, Thread. Phantom Thread would have to be Gluttony. gluttony. So it, it kind of tracks. Um, I, yeah, I thought this then, was a really brilliant observation. And sadly, it's not... It's Well, not sadly. It's, it's just it's not my observation. Credit to my wife for, for making right. that. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we then, got some, and, some quiet gestures in the yeah, room. And I remember at one point you said, Bibbs asked, you was like, so what's Heart 8? And you said, Pathos. Yeah. <laughs> heart 8 is Pathos. And uh, it has, but it has the, the word 8 in the title, so it is like the 8th extraneous yeah. um, film. But, you know, P.T. Anderson's going to make more. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film is his 19-minute short that he did with Tom York that's on Netflix called Anima. Um, I think that's the best thing. Which I've still never watched. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's right there. It's 19 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've, I've projected that. Oh, really? Yeah, well, you projected Anima? Because uh, the theater where I, just to, to fill in our listeners, the theater where I work is owned by Quentin Tarantino, and mm-hmm. he's, he's buddies with other filmmakers. Yeah. So uh, uh, the, other, the, other, the other filmmakers who are big 35mm enthusiasts are mm-hmm. in communication with him a lot, and we got some of their works. We are showing... Uh, Christopher Nolan's film *Tenet* at right. the New Beverly in a couple of weeks' time, okay. on 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 35 millimeter, and yeah. I'm not looking forward to projecting it because his films are very dark and there's yeah. a lot of movement and yeah. it's difficult <laughs> to see cue marks in the upper right hand corner yeah. during those kinds of movies. Uh, yeah. But but it'll be brand new and everything will be nice and clean, yeah, right. so that'll be nice. Um, but back to Goodbye Dragon. Dragon Inn is, it, I mean, it is super slow in five minute long takes. One, sure. One, the, the longest take, I think, is the one of just the empty theater at the end of the film, where we're just looking at an empty theater for like three, four minutes. Uh-huh. But I, I think what it ultimately serves is that when we have like the small moments where um, there's obviously the moment where the ticket, she goes behind the screen. And mm. we suddenly get some very rapid editing of uh, juxtaposing her and uh, the female lead in Dragon Inn. Yeah. Um, and it's this, it's this incredibly emotional moment mm-hmm. where it's just like identifying with people, and it's just this movie is about connection mm-hmm. and it's about longing for it. And mm-hmm. does it ultimately happen in some characters' case? No. In some characters' case, yes. And it's yeah. just, and you feel every every drop of it literally and so yeah when the movie ends you're just and and we get a song you're singing farewell (laughs) it's just beautiful and so yeah i fully agree with this um so yeah um all right so i mean that's that's the whole uh afternoon and goodbye dragon in we have a section at the end where we just say so whitney what's Mm. up next for you on ovid what are, what are you looking at? Um, what's really long? Um, I mean, uh, uh, th- I, I had. Wang Bing? Uh, we already did there, a lot there, of Diaz. There's some Wang Bing, yeah. In fact, uh, I, I learned. There's a lot of Diaz coming very soon. Well, I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of Diaz I on mean, Projector.tv. Yeah, no, yeah. It, his yeah, new it's film is coming to projector. Very, yeah, very yeah, we, we covered uh, from what is before um, oh, on our last episode. Love I got that to. One. That's, yeah, really, really good. Um, just in, in long films and we got to talk about a bread factory for the last two mm-hmm. episodes actually because yeah. because uh, yeah. i watched He's it and then, and then uh, um uh, what was it called it was called um la commune is uh-huh. one that i've been eyeballing yep. uh it's it's you know quite a long uh, semi-documentary film Los Angeles one day mm. uh at the egyptian in the steven spielberg house Okay, the the little the little the one. tiny house yeah. with the tortured seats, and uh, 
like the most I guess they're I guess they're renovating the place now and that space is not going to exist anymore uh, although I think it should I just think they should change the chairs you know mm. uh, because it's a place where you should be able to see stuff like La Commune mm. um, but not have to sit on you know a chair that feels like it like it hates you <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I admire that, um, and we, we've talked about this before, if, if you want to get my attention about a movie, say it's either under 90 minutes or over five hours, right. and uh, nothing in between, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. And, uh, and, and Good by Dragon is 80. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, 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 so I'm, I'm, I'm right in there, and uh, yeah, we, we talked about uh, Lizzie Borden's Boarding Flames, this is another one, it's like 83 oh. minutes, and, yeah. and it's freaking great, and, uh, and yeah, From What Is Before and La Commune are these films yeah. that are showing up on my radar now, thanks to Ovid, and those mm-hmm. are the ones I'm going to try to dive into. Um, I myself, um, I mentioned earlier, I think I'm, I'm, I want to see what this Marlon Riggs character is about. I'm, I think I'm going to see uh, a few mm-hmm. of his films, and then there's always shorts on Ovid, which mm-hmm. I just, you know, mm-hmm. scatter my, whenever I have a few spare minutes, then Marlon treat Riggs, myself to that. great uh, queer filmmakers. Yeah, so. yeah. Absolutely, look look at his uh, work. Yeah, um, you know, they, I know. they have they have a separate channel for all of their queer films right now. Right for for Pride. Yeah, um, you you suggested mm. I, I saw this. You suggested on Twitter a great name for a, mm. a queer streaming service. Um, mm. By if you rearrange the letters in LGBTQIA plus, mm. add a U, you get Quilt Bag Plus. Quilt Bag. Yes. Quilt, quilt Bag Plus should yeah. be a, a, like a queer <laughs> streaming service. service. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I know that uh, you you're. This is a, for all I know, a one-time thing. But you, you have what, what? What are you interested? In? Maybe what do you? What do you think of the like, Ovid? What, yeah, what are you gonna watch on I Ovid? Love, I love Ovid. They were our advertisers occasionally. Yes, yeah, uh, I reached. I reached out to and them they, about yeah. that, and they basically said, uh, "Tell us, get, come back to us when uh, people start listening." Yeah, <laughs> so. but they were they were kind enough to you know. Yeah, I mean, they gave us press access. Yeah, gave us press access to it. Priscilla at Ovid is very lovely. Mm. I uh, I have no idea what's coming up on there that I Mm. want to be watching, other than I do want to watch Lock Commune because I still haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that 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 pretty much does it. Um, at this point, we start plugging each other. Uh, you both have these podcasts. I think I've heard of yes. before. Um, <laughs> why don't Why don't you go first, Whitney? Uh, well, you, you you've heard from me before, um, but yeah, I, I over on. Uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, which I do with William Bibiani, uh, we have a whole slew of podcasts that we're const- constantly, constantly recording, always late at night, so we're very tired, uh, where we have film review podcasts, and we talk about canceled television shows, and we talk about Star Trek, and Batman, and uh, Academy Awards, and we answer letters, and this and that, and anything we, we want to say, we record. So uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's all available. It's... Uh, some of it's free. A lot of it's part of the subscription service. If you want to hear it all, I, we have various tiers of subscription. Yeah, go over there. Listen to right. our stuff. Yeah, I'm, I got to join you for a couple episodes. For that's right. And, and, and B, B shows up on a couple of our more yeah. recent episodes. And then, yeah, and then check out my episode of all our yesterdays. So anyway, and yeah. then Dave. Yes. Tell me about this this banana knife. <laughs> banana knife. I do a podcast called Banana Knife, and. Uh, <laughs> It's a, it's, we've been going for 10 years. We talk about bananas every single episode. <laughs> it's a, a large textured universe, the yeah. world of bananas. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Linoleum Knife is the name of the show. Uh, we stole that name from the Aqua Teen Hunger Force uh, animated feature. Um, <laughs> and we've been doing it for over 10 years now. My husband, Alonzo Duralde, uh, 
he is also a film critic. We are, to our knowledge, still the only queer married film critic couple in the United States. Um, in terms of people who, you know, mm. that's our job, that's how we make our living. Mm. Um, uh, BJ and Harmony Colangelo are, oh, yeah. are vying for your spot. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I, didn't know, uh, I didn't know if they were both sort of employed uh, film critics. And so, well, uh, Harmony is technically a, a bartender, but they started doing podcasts together. That's cool. So. No, no, no. Uh, what I mean by that is that there are lots of queer couples doing film podcasts. Mm. There's, not, there's not just us. Right. But in terms of, like, you know, we were film critics, oh, and both then we started a podcast, yeah, okay. and, and that's what we do. Um, yeah, that's kind but of then cool. I Then we're I will not, like, not, not we, mention we any threat. We think we're the only ones who meet all of those you know, <laughs> marks. Anyway, uh, but, you know, obviously, yes, there are other mm-hmm. queer uh, couples married or uh, partnered in any other, mm-hmm. you know, configuration who are doing these podcasts as well. Uh, and respect to them. Yeah. Uh, so we've been doing this for 10 years, and uh, we spend the first 10 to 15 minutes talking about what I'm making for dinner. If that bothers you, uh, I, sorry, that's the show, but um, we do spend the rest of the time talking about the current cinema and uh, of all, you know, the high and the low. Right. Yeah. And then you have the Patreon with all of the others. And we do a bunch of other shows that are, you, you know, we're selling them if you're buying them, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, and then as for us, we also have a Patreon. This this podcast is free, but we have tons of other stuff on our Patreon uh, slash screens margins, um, where we've got series. I mean, we for free we've got the Frederick Wiseman podcast. We've got uh, a new releases, and then on over on the Patreon we have Lucrecia Martel. We have Rainer Werner Fassbinder, and we have uh, the stuff that I'm down here doing that I just finished doing with Margaret Dor- Dorothy Arzner, and so we've gone through all of Dorothy Arzner's films and and then we also have Friends of Dorothy which is about her collaborators we did Zoe Akins after the Dorothy Arzner project is out we might do someone else Doris Anderson lots of people anyway mm-hmm. cinema that is not being discussed at length these days um, and yeah I'm, I'm having a blast and this has been absolutely lovely two people I greatly admire oh, here pish. talking about films I greatly admire mm-hmm. so yeah this is this has been lovely um, and thank you, thank you for having me yes thank yeah. yeah thank you for having us thank you for having us here and, <laughs> and treating this, this lovely cake so um, yeah with that uh, thank you very much for listening because we know that there's a pull these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and the mainstream stuff so thanks for spending some time with us today here on the margins good night Thank you.